Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning as we worship our God together. On the back of your bulletins are the announcements. Uh, just to mention a couple of things. Uh, first of all, the, the, the fair begins, I guess, officially this afternoon. Um, and with that, uh, there will be a fair parade this afternoon. I think it begins at 1. It will come down Maumee here, so it will be passing by here, I would imagine, about 1.30 or so, which simply means that this parking lot will be packed this afternoon uh, with people parking and, and watching the parade go by. So just be aware of that. Uh, be careful when you go outside uh, with regard to all the cars. Um, that's what's happened in years past. No guarantee it will happen again, but just to make you aware of that, especially if you're going to leave and then considering coming back uh, to observe the Lord's table around 145, you might want to keep that reality in mind. And then also to make mention that on Saturday, the Perrys are inviting everyone to their house in the afternoon from 12 to 4, and there's a sign-up sheet in the back table. So if you're coming, please sign the sheet on the back table. And then uh, also just a reminder to bring drinks. Chairs are optional. They think they might have plenty of chairs, but if you have your favorite lawn chair, you can bring that. Of course, they have a pool if you're interested in that. But uh, drinks and then sign up on the back uh, for the other things that are needed. So that's this Saturday from 12 to 4. All right, I believe that's all the announcements that I have for you. Now as we give ourselves to the worship of our God, uh, I would remind you of the words found in Isaiah chapter 49 where we read, Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands, and your walls are continually before me. It was, it's a reminder that, that God loves and cares for His people. And He's always watching us and, and providing for us in that care. And, and so think of it this way, that, that everything that comes into our lives passes through the hand, the fingers, the palm of one who is infinitely wise and one who is infinite in His love. And He's ordained those things for us. And therefore, we can rejoice. And so may we just take a moment to prepare our hearts to meet with that One who has us engraved on the palm of His hands.
for our call to worship this morning inside your bulletin. It comes from the 51st Psalm, which is David's Psalm of Confession and his expressed desire to have the joy that he knew in having a right relationship to God restored. So we will sing the call to worship together by with the tune of the Trinity 559, Cast Your Burden on the Lord. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to the worship. take your Trinity hymn books and turn over to number 51, 51 in the Trinity hymn book, when all thy mercies, O my God, my rising soul surveys, transported with the view I'm lost in wonder, love, and praise, number 51 in the Trinity.
Please remain standing for prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this being your day. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And we've come to, to listen to the word preached and to contemplate your goodness to us. We're reminded in 1 Kings chapter 10, speaking of the Queen of Sheba, and now when the Queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. So she came to Jerusalem with very large retinue, with camels carrying spices and very much gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart, and Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king which he did not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters in their attire, his cupbearers, and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. She was breathless. And Father, as we contemplate and ponder your greatness from eternity past to eternity future, you are the Lord God Almighty. And everything that you do for us is through love. And so, Father, we worship you this day and we pray that you would forgive us our sins and that you would cleanse our hearts with the blood of Jesus Christ. And, Father, we would pray today that if there's anyone here that has not truly um, inspected their self, examined their self to make sure that they are saved. We pray, Father, that we would do this and we would do it regularly even as, as uh, professing believers. And so, Father, we pray that you would bless the word of God as it is read today, as it is preached we ask that you would be with us during the Lord's table this afternoon and as we remember that cost that was paid on that cross at Calvary. And Jesus is risen. And Father, we too, like the Queen of Sheba, are left beyond breathless. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now take your hymns of grace and we will sing together hymn 133, All Glory Be to Christ. 133 in the hymns of grace.
Please turn, if you will, to John's Gospel in chapter 2. John's Gospel, chapter 2. And here in this chapter, it's a short chapter, and we see uh, Christ's first miracle here, the miracle at Cana. And then also we see the first uh, cleansing of the temple. And so follow along as I read. We ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew 
what was in man. As we seek our God together in prayer this morning, we want to pray for uh, John Shirley and his wife Becky, who were with us back in May. Their ministry is Love Goes Home, and they're engaged in seeking to rescue orphans internationally. And recently they were in the Dominican Republic and involved in a building program and putting orphans into various homes and, and even the training of pastors. So we want to pray for them in particular. They'll be heading out, or John and his daughter Hannah will be heading out to, I think it was Asia, uh, later on in the summer. So pray for them as well. Well, let us seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, how thankful we are that we are numbered with the children of God. And we thank you that as the children of God, we are not left alone, but we've been given your spirit, that spirit of yours working in each of us who know you, condemning that which is evil and commending that which is good. Father, we're thankful for the work of the Spirit in our lives that gives us an appetite that desires to gather on your day to worship you with your people. And Father, we pray your blessing upon our gathering together that there would truly be a sense that you are with us by the work of that Spirit and by your Word, which is also living and active. And so, Father, we we commend to you this day. We pray that you would use it in our lives. Father, how we would pray, even has already been prayed, for those who may not know you, that even today would be a day of salvation. We know that there are some who cannot be with us this morning, some who are away, and, and others who are on beds of affliction. We pray that you would draw near to them. Perhaps some are able now to watch live stream in the midst of their illness. And and we just pray that our gathering would encourage them and bring them even closer to you. And that even through these difficult providences for some, that, Father, you will use it to bring them into a closer relationship to you. And, Father, we pray for the gospel to go forth and to be spread around the world And thank you for John and Becky Shirley and and their desire to see that done. And Father, we, we pray especially for their work with orphans, that Father, they would continue to have the finances needed and even the homes needed for these orphans to be a part of. And Father, we pray that their ministry in the end would would be used for the advancement of your kingdom. Father, perhaps one of those who have been placed in homes there in the Dominican Republic recently, you'll be pleased to raise up to be a proclaimer of the gospel, a pastor to your people, to be greatly used for the advancement of your kingdom. And so, Father, may you continue to bless this work and use it for your glory, and for your honor. Father, this morning we would also 
pray and intercede for our nation. We would cry out to you that in the midst of deserving truly your wrath, you'll have mercy upon us. Father, we are a nation who have been blessed as we pray for the persecuted church around the world We're reminded of how blessed we are as we're allowed to gather together and to worship you, to assemble ourselves together without fear of being incarcerated or separated from family members. We bless you for that, but but we also wonder how, how long you'll continue to show us mercy when as a nation we very much oppose the things of God. When as a nation we no longer know the real fear of God, but we want to go our own way and do our own things. Father, we pray that you would awaken us to our sins and we pray, Father, that you would bring a revival that only you can do in hearts and lives. And so have mercy upon us, we pray. And in our time this morning, as we look into your word, may you, may you draw near to us. We, we need your help. We acknowledge, O oh Lord, to rightly apply your word to our lives. We, we need your help and your grace and your spirit working within us so that we are a people who are more and more conformed into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we pray that our time together this morning and later this afternoon would be for our good and for your glory. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, take the Trinity Hymn Book once again. Trinity Hymn Book 452. Savior, blessed Savior, listen while we sing. The Trinity 452. Stand together as we sing.
be seated. Deuteronomy chapter 32 once again. Deuteronomy 32. We come back to the Song of Moses that we have considered for the last couple weeks. God willing, my, my goal is to get through the song this morning. We will see how that goes. But when we were last examining this song, which Moses, at the command of God, has written, Moses is, remember, Moses is told to teach this song to the sons of Israel, put it on their lips, so that the song would be a witness for Yahweh against the sons of Israel. This would have been a, a song that was sung whenever the assembly of God's people would gather together. It probably was a song that was sung in families together. Maybe during those times when fathers would set their children down and seek to teach them the laws and the judgments and the statutes of God's. This song would be a constant reminder of Yahweh's goodness, His care, and His love for His people. In this song, they would be reminded that, that Yahweh was their Creator. He, he was their Provider. He was their Protector. In this song, there, would, there was warning concerning the dangers that would often confront them. That they would not go after other gods or forsake the God who has made them. In, in this song, they have been reminded of all these things. They have also been reminded that if they did forsake God, such behavior would make Yahweh jealous and even provoke Him to anger. The accusation that we read there in verse 18, you neglect the rock who has begotten you and forgot the God who gave you birth. And they would sing the sad result of what happens when that takes place. God says, when you forsake me, I will hide my faith, face. And I will turn against you. And when such things happen, God says, instead of provision, you'll have famine. Instead of protection, you'll have judgment. And instead of peace, there will be assaults. And so that's what we've considered thus far in this song together. But now, starting in verse 28, the song moves from their sad con condition to God's consequence upon their lives. 
And, and as we look at this passage, starting there at verse 28 and hopefully getting down through verse 43, we, we will notice three things together that they sing about in this song. The first of all, there is the un, unthinkable folly. The unthinkable folly. Look at verse 28. For they are a nation lacking in counsel, and there's no understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would discern their future. Or I think the King James says, as they would consider their latter end. You see, in this song we have seen that in the midst of God's blessing and their prospering, they would become very arrogant. And in that arrogance, they would forsake Yahweh and would follow after other gods. And with such a behavior, their folly is displayed in two ways. First of all, there was a lack of discernment. For they are a nation lacking counsel, and there's no understanding in them. In this song, they're reminded, if you forsake God, you will see marks in your life that indicates things are not going well. There will be famine. You will experience assault by other nations. There will be destruction and and in captivity and, and, and being in bondage to other nations. And in this song, they are told, when these things come upon you, you're living in this land that God's promised you, you have forsaken God, God brings His judgment upon your nation, and you may be guilty of lacking any judgment or fail to understand why such things are taking place. Why are we now experiencing famine instead of enjoying the good land? What's happened that now nations are coming and seeking to overtake us? Why are we living in captivity? I don't understand what's going on. And at the end of the day, it's because they would not listen to counsel. And they would turn a blind eye to the reason for such calamity that has come upon them. Remember Moses' counsel to them back in chapter 31 and verse 12? Moses tells them, that they should be that they should hear and learn and fear the Lord and be careful to observe 
all the words of this law. That they were to be diligent in keeping their devotion and loyalty to God. And remember when we read about all the curses that God says would come upon them if they did not obey? And now in this song, they have forsaken God and they're wondering, why is all this happening? Why is this taking place? And with that lack of discernment, in this song we hear a desire for greater, fors- for greater foresight. That they seem to, to lack foresight. Oh, we read here in verse 29, would that they were wise that they understood this and that they would discern their future. That that's Yahweh's desire towards them. Oh, that they would understand. Oh, that they would, that, that they would realize and be wise and remember the warnings they have received and realize that in those warnings, their present action would have further consequences than just that moment. In Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23, Moses gives instruction to the children of Israel about settling in the land of promise. And with that instructions there in Numbers 32, he sounds this warning. He says this to them. But if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against Yahweh and be sure your sin will find you out. If you won't listen... And if you go your own way and do your own thing, you won't get away with it. There will be consequences. Do not think that God will not respond to your rebellion. So in this song, Moses is pleading with them to consider the end of the way that their actions may be leading them. Consider what you're doing now and the effect it will have upon you in the future. Your rebellion will lead to a divine response. Take note of that. You will not get away with it. So take heed to your heart. I mean, this is a song of warning. They they have not left, they have not gone into the land of promise yet. But even in singing, I thought of that this morning when we were in Judges 6, right? And, and, And we see them in their rebellion going after Baal. 
And God brings judgment upon them. I sat there this morning thinking, I wonder if they just sung that song this morning. It told them of this reality. Sin will have an effect on you long term. Think about the future. How often has a man said, well, it was only going to be a quick glance. How often has someone said, but it was just a little lie. In fact, to make it sound better, it was a white lie. But it led to greater things. And Remember, David was only on the rooftop for just a moment, walking around, not thinking about falling into sin, committing adultery, engaging in murder. I would imagine those thoughts were not in his mind, but as he walks, it's a quick glance. And he gives no thought to what that quick glance will mean for the future. Mr. Craigie in his commentary says this, if they were wise, they would be able to interpret the events that God permitted to happen to them. They would then discern the latter end and see the disaster towards which their lifestyle was leading to them inevitably. If they were wise, they would understand this is where you're going to end up. This week, I was, as I was thinking about that, it came to my mind that, that little statement which someone said that goes something like this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you far, uh, longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you thought you would ever pay. Imagine you've heard that saying. You might have heard it from this pulpit. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you ever thought you would pay. And this morning, it came to my mind again. And I thought, I wonder who originally said that? Do you know who's credited saying this for the first time as far as I know? I'm not going to tell you his name, but I will tell you he was a very well-known Biblical apologist. He was internationally known as being a defender of the faith. When, when he died, I think a couple of years ago, he, he was praised as a faithful witness. But after his death, 
It was found out that he was living a double life and was engaged in wicked, immoral activity which abused women. I was shocked. I mean, it's, it's amazing how quickly you can get information, but when I, I think, again, it's computer terms, so I'm not a good computer guy, but, but when I Googled this statement and read who the first to say this was, I was shocked. And I wondered, when he first said that, though unbeknownst to those that he was speaking to, was he saying something about what he was personally experiencing? Sin has taken me farther than I thought I would ever go. It has kept me longer than I thought I would ever stay. And it cost me more than I thought I would ever pay. And while speaking to believers around the world, was he speaking at that point of his own experience? And it's a reminder to all of us when you think that that one little insignificant lie isn't going to go anywhere. That just momentary, a few days ignoring the means of grace isn't going to really affect me. That seemingly so-called innocent flirting in the office that that what looks to be insignificant little stealing of something that doesn't belong to you. Consider your latter end. Consider your latter end. And, and, and sometimes when we engage in sin, we do it for the momentary pleasure it brings. but give very little thought to the long-term effect it will have. And what the children of Israel sing in this song is Yahweh's desire that we would understand Sin has an effect. And it could be a, a long-term effect. In fact, sometimes God's silence over a period of time 
might be used to encourage us to continue in that sin. I won't be found out. Nobody knows. And then one day we wake up and we are in the midst of a mess and calamity. And we're like, how did this happen? Why did this happen? And oh, that we were wise and had that foresight. For the children of Israel, even back in chapter 28 and verse 15, we read these words, If you do not obey the Lord your God and observe to do all His commandments and His statutes with which I charge you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. They've been warned. And so we see here in these two verses the unthinkable folly. Well, secondly, notice with me what I'm calling the undeniable evidence. The undeniable evidence. Israel has rebelled. They forsook God to follow after other gods. Now listen to what we read, starting there in verse 30. How could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them? The Lord had given them up. Indeed, their rock is not like our rock. Even our enemies themselves judge this, for their vine is from the vine of Sodom, and from the fields of Gomorrah, their grapes are grapes of poison, and their cluster, clusters bitter. Their wine is a venom of servants, and the deadly poison of cobras. And, and now skip over to verse 37. And he will say, where are their gods? And the rock in which they sought refuge who ate the fat of their sacrifices and, and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your hiding place. See now that I am He, and there's no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded. It is I who heal, and there is no one who can deliver from my hands. So here we now have the children of Israel confronted with the contrast of the true and the living God with other gods. As, as you have forsaken God and gone after other gods, let's do a little comparison. Let, let's put up Yahweh to the gods that you've gone after. And in doing so, he's basically confronting them with two sins. One, you've forsaken God, but two, you've given credit to other gods 
for what you have. You've behaved like we read there in in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13. These words, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. You're guilty of doing two things. I'm the living water, and you've forsaken me, and you've dug other wells. But the thing is, these other wells don't hold water. So you've forsaken the good for that which is useless. That's what he's saying. That's what you're doing. And so he begins with what I would call this rhetorical question. He says, consider our activities. Why, why is it, he says, why is it that one chased a thousand and two can put 10,000 to flight? Why is it that you go out to war, your vast army, and you're, you're defeated by a few? I mean, you don't even get into Joshua very far when the children of Israel had defeated Jericho and next they were going to Ai. And in fact, when they were getting ready to go to Ai, it said, we don't need the whole army. That's just two or three thousand of us. We could take Ai, no problem. And they go to war against Ai and what happens? They're defeated. And God is saying... How did that come about? How did that happen? That, that, that one is chased by a thousand and two by ten of thousands. How, how did that come about? Could it be that God has brought this to pass? Could this have happened because of God's judgment? upon you for your refusal to listen and obey Yahweh? Remember what we've read back in chapter 28 when, when, when God was pronouncing the curses? Listen to what He says to them by way of warning. The Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies and you shall go out one way against them but you will flee seven ways before them, and you will be an example of terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. I mean, he's warned them about this. You're not obeying, God will bring defeat upon the land. And you'll march in one way, and you'll be fleeing seven ways. And you're going to remind everybody of the judgment of God upon you. So how did this come about? Well, there's only one solution. Only one solution. The only way that such a thing would come about would be if God, their rock, had delivered His people into the hands of their enemies. Neither their enemies nor their enemies God, their rock, small r, would have sufficient power to defeat the living God of Israel. This defeat comes only to pass because of Yahweh your God. And then he speaks 
about the very nature of their other gods. Notice what he says. They're from the vine of Sodom and from the field of Gomorrah. That's where these other gods have their roots. And what Sodom and Gomorrah are known for? Their wickedness and their evil. He goes on to say about them that, that their grapes are grapes of poison. You, you want to drink a little bit of poison? I mean, just a little bit? Who wants to do that? Nobody. Well, that's who you're following after. That's your gods. Their wine is the venom of of serpents and, and deadly poison and, and their clusters are bitter. That's who you're you're giving up Yahweh. You're forsaking the true and the living God and placing your loyalty upon those who by nature are evil and and have leave you with a taste of bitterness. You think, well, this is going to be enjoyable. This will be fun. These gods don't demand so much of us. These gods we can see with our eyes. These are the gods we want to follow. But in the end, it only leads to bitterness and poison and so forth. It's almost, you're like, this, this is insane. Why would you do that? And, and then he goes on later as we read, starting in verse 37. I mean, he speaks of, uh, of the nature of these gods, but he also speaks of the activity of these gods. Hey, why don't you call these gods to help you? I mean, here comes a nation that's going to overtake you. Call on these gods. See what... They've got eyes, apparently. The, don't they see what's going on in your life? They've got hands. Why don't they do something? They, they ate your sacrifice. They drank your drink offering. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your hiding place. See, he's, he's pointing out how, how foolish, how utterly foolish that, that you would leave your devotion to Yahweh and follow after these other gods. How sad. And so, so God brings judgment upon His people by these other gods. Nations that, that he controls. And, and, and again, it's a reminder to us as the people of God that, 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 we, that we be diligent of not allowing our love to grow cold towards God. That it not be said of us that they've left their first love at one time, they were passionate and devoted and loyal to Yahweh. But now, other things, and by other things, I, I do not fear this morning that, that if I go to your house after church, that I'm going to walk in and there's going to be this little statue of Baal in your homes. I do not fear that if I go into your, to your homes this morning, you're not going to greet me at the door 
And I'm going to walk in and see that statue, and you're going to say, Oh, Pastor, I want you to know, we do believe in God. But we found a God who was much more, shall we say, more likable. We found a God that doesn't demand so much of us. We found a wonderful God. Let me introduce you to him. And you walk over there and he's got ears and he's got eyes and he's got a mouth. But he sits there. I don't, I don't stay up at night worried that that's what I'm going to find in your homes. At least, I hope not. But I do stay up at night and am concerned about us following and having more passionate passion and loyalty to other things than we do to the living God. And, and these things might be innocent things in and of themselves, It could be our work. It, it, it could be our families. It could be our entertainment. It could be this world. I mean, I mean, think about it for a moment. What does John tell us? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Why would he even have to say that? Except we're vulnerable to loving the world. Paul tells us, Put to death the deeds of the flesh. Right? He's writing to believers and he says, Put to death the deeds. Why would he even have to write that to us? Did you ever think about that? I mean, mean, if you know your own heart, you understand. but, But here, God has rescued us from the bondage of sin by the giving of his own son. His own Son took our sins upon Himself. None of us deserve that. And yet by God's grace and because of God's mercy, He sent His Son and His Son died on the cross to rescue us from this present evil world. Why in the world does He have to say, don't love the world, put to death the deeds of the flesh? Because we're vulnerable to these things. There's something just like the Israelites. There's something in our hearts in which we are drawn after other things and can find ourselves more loyal, devoted, and more passionate about those things than we are of God. And you have to step back and think to yourself, wow, look where I've come.
And sometimes we wake up and we say, wow, I've gone farther than I ever thought I would go. And I've stayed longer than I ever thought I would stay. And it's, it, and it's cost me. It's cost me dearly. It's a warning to each one of us. Because of the proneness of our own hearts to seek after other things. And so he sets before them this, this undeniable evidence. And I'm afraid I'm not going to get through this. And so I have to make this decision up here. Keep going. Stop. But I think it would be wiser just to stop here. But before I stop here, my last point has to do with His unconceivable mercy. His un... And I, I, I'm not going to leave you with how vulnerable we are and how we're all... None of us are exempt from running after other things, but the wonderful thing about this song, I, I believe, comes to us in the final verse. He, he will mention, and in my third point, if you just want to write it down, was the unstoppable judgment. He's going to talk about the judgment. We'll get into that, God willing, next week. But, but there's this judgment that will come upon the nations whom God will use to judge His nation. Does that make sense? All right. God's going to bring judgment upon those who oppose Him. They will experience His wrath. We'll get into that. But, but in the end, then, he says, verse 43, Rejoice, O nations, with His people, for He will avenge the blood of His servants and will render vengeance upon His adversaries and will atone for His land and His people. He says to these Gentile nations that that He used to bring judgment upon His people, one day, Jew with Gentile will rejoice together. How, how does that happen? How, how does it get to the place where, where both rejoice together? And then He goes on and says, listen, My wrath will be poured out against those who oppose Me. My wrath is real. They will not get away with it. But He then says, I will atone for the land and my people. One of the things we'll get into next week is what God's judgment did was bring the people low. It destroyed their arrogance. But simply bringing them low and simply bringing them to tears doesn't cover their sins. So how will their sins be covered? How, how can that happen? And in Moses' song, which the more you think about it, because if you know Revelation 15 in heaven, we're going to sing what? The song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. 
And I believe when we get to the last, I don't know if it's going to be the last verse or the last stanza of this song, and we sing, He will make an atonement. And there we see Christ who gave His life that our sins might be covered. Maybe what will follow immediately will be Handel's Messiah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For, for, for such a Savior. He will make an atonement for His land and His people. For we read in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son. What the law could not provide, God did. I, I love those two words. God did in the sending of His Son. Ephesians chapter 2, But God being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our, our transgressions, He made us alive together with grace, for by grace are you saved. This is the work of God. Salvation. When we were dead and had no hope, through His Son, we're given life and forgiveness. So He has this unconceivable mercy upon a people like us who deserve His wrath. Well, I apologize for not getting through the song. God willing, we will next week. But I trust that these things that we've talked about and considered this morning would do us good. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, forgive us for not often, often considering the latter end. Forgive us for chasing after those things that are not lasting, those things that will never bring us everlasting joy and peace and comfort, chasing after those things that, that for a moment may give us some earthly pleasure, but in the end will only bring about famine, misery, Father, we pray that as the people of God, You will find us to be those who love You, who are compassionate about You, who are devoted to You. We would confess that we do feel the battle often with the flesh, with the world, with the devil. 
And therefore, Father, we would plead that we might know more of Your grace and, and that we might grow in, in, in our relationship with You and in our love for You. That, that we might be a people who are marked by a love for You because of You first loved us and demonstrated that love in Your Son, Jesus Christ, who alone is able to cover our sins. So, Father, we pray that this is not just a good story to read, but that You would use it in our lives. That it will have effect upon how we live throughout the week. And, Father, we pray that how we respond to Your Word would truly bring glory to Your name. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Closing, take your hymns of grace, turning to 389. 389. All I have is Christ. 389. Let's stand together as we sing.
this afternoon, so keep that in mind. Again, I think the parking lot's already getting people in it, so just be careful out there. You are dismissed.